This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And in this episode, I want to talk about technology and specifically how it impacts and how it relates to uh, the lives of the kids that are part of all of our lives. So my wife and I, Annalise, we don't have kids, um, but we have some nieces and nephews. And when I think about what it looks like for them to navigate the world that they're growing up in compared to what it looked like for me as it relates to technology, it's obviously crazy different. Because I can remember the first time that we got an internet connection at my house. I remember life when we didn't have internet at home and then after life when we did. And I remember I was allowed to go online after 9 o'clock because we didn't want to tie up the home phone line in case we were getting an important phone call. (laughs) And then you sit and you wait. And if for those of you, I'm assuming that most of you listening are people who can relate to what I'm sharing. This is kind of a journey down memory lane. You remember that horrible... That's really probably not the perfect representation of that awful sound but you remember connecting to the internet and then finally once you got online I remember it would take like 15 minutes to download a single song it was like in a lot of ways now you look back on it and go well that's not even hardly worth getting on the internet because now you can download an entire album you can download a podcast and 20 seconds, 30 seconds. It's crazy. And then I remember when I got my first cell phone, I was 16, and my parents, they made me get the cell phone. I didn't want to get it because I thought, really knew, and I was right, that the only reason they wanted me to have it was so that they could keep tabs on me. They could check up on me. They could know exactly where I was, and they could tell me exactly when to be home, even if I wasn't around. And then I remember going away to college and I got mad at one of my friends one time. We were trying to meet up at a soccer game and he texted me instead of calling me. The weird thing is back in the day, those texts were 25 cents a piece to receive and to send. So I'm like, dude, why are you doing, why are you texting me when you could just call me? And we think back on those memories and I'm guessing that you have some of those memories yourself of the way you remember getting immersed in this stuff. And it was really kind of a trickle-in process, right? First, we get online at home at night when we're allowed to use it to not tie up the phone. Then we get a kind of junky cell phone, especially compared to what we have today. I mean, I remember losing service driving down one of the main streets in Holland, the first cell phone that I had. I'm like, this thing is junk. Who would want one of these? And when it comes to technology use for adults, for parents today, um, we can't lean on our experience of what it was like growing up, which makes it a really tough thing to parent around 
or to help the kids, like in my case, nieces and nephews and other kids that are part of my sphere of influence in every other aspect of life, we can lean on, oh yeah, I remember what it was like to be 10 and want to go spend the night at a friend's house. I can remember what it was like to be 13 and have my first girlfriend. I can remember what all these other things were like, but when it comes to technology, we can't lean on our own experience because the world was different. We don't have that experience. And what I've found, because I've shared about technology um, in both church settings and in in non-faith-based settings, and what I've found is that a huge percentage of parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, teachers, just the adults that are in kids' lives, there's a whole lot of unknown of how do we best help them navigate the use of technology and the internet. And because of that unknown, what I've found is a surprising amount of fear and anger from parents that are directed toward this technology. Uh, Actually, one of my favorite stories I was sharing about technology, and I was coming at it from the standpoint of, okay, this isn't something that we need to be afraid of. It's something that we need to actively engage with the kids in our lives on. And this guy, he was sitting in, I forget if it was the second or third row, but he was sitting pretty close toward the front. And he pulled his phone out of his pocket. He held it up in the air and he said, this is the devil. And I was kind of taken aback a little bit because I'm like, dude, I'm in the middle of talking here. And thankfully, the person next to him, because I wanted to say this, but, you know, when you're in the role of speaking, it puts you in kind of a weird spot. You can't, you know, I'm not like a stand-up comedian where I like, you know, put down these hecklers and get them to stop. You know, I have to handle it gracefully. Thankfully, this guy next to him turned and he said, well, if it's so bad, what are you doing with one of those in your pocket? And I thought that that brief little interaction was kind of a perfect statement of what it's like to live in 2018. Because you hear all these things about, man, kids are using technology, and depending on where you're looking, you're finding different numbers and different things. You know, they're using technology um, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day on average. And you hear that number and you're like, whoa, what in the world? And I did too. And then I started thinking through my average day. I thought, well, you know, I, I'm in an office from uh, 8 to 4. And I'm not on the computer and listening to music or watching videos or something. I'm not doing it the whole time I'm at the office, but probably six of those hours I am. And then after that, I head home, and while Annalise and I are cooking dinner, we'll have some music going, or if she's not there cooking with me, I'll throw on you know, something on Netflix that I don't really need to watch, but I can kind of catch up and pay a little bit of attention, maybe a show I've seen a bunch of times. You know how that goes. Then when dinner's ready, we'll sit down and we'll watch an episode or two 
or three, if we're really into it, of some show that we're watching. And then after Annalise goes to bed, usually, especially during the NBA season, I'll sit up and I'll watch a game or two of basketball. I'm going, wow, I'm getting way more than the 10 hours of technology, media, screen time that we're hearing that kids are getting. And what we're seeing, and I think what I see play out in my own life, and what I'm guessing you're seeing now that has been playing out in your life too, is that um, we hear these big numbers of the kids interacting with technology, and we realize that we're actually doing the same thing, or worse, potentially. And, um, you know, I came across something that I really think, I I don't know if this is going to be the same audience, you know, because you're listening to this on a podcast, I don't know that there's going to be as much resistance as in a lot of the audiences that I've spoken to at local churches or places like that. But I still want to share this because I really think that this example, I don't know, this anecdote, whatever it is, really helps to describe the divide that exists between the older generation and the younger generation when it comes to technology. So there's a guy, his name's Bradley Howell. He teaches at a a seminary in Texas, and he wrote a chapter in a book, which I want to first recommend this this chapter. Uh, It's a book called Adoptive Youth Ministry, and it was a book that was put together from a bunch of different people's perspective. So it was compiled and edited, and Bradley Howell, he wrote this chapter called Technology and Adoptive Youth Ministry. And in it, he breaks down what kids need uh, at different ages, at different stages of development. He talks about what they're going through and the best way that we, as the adults in their lives, can come alongside of these kids as their early childhood, as their uh, preteen, as their early teens, as they're continuing to develop what they need from us at different stages of development. And so in the show notes, there's going to be a link to the Amazon um, page where you can buy this book. And I really recommend that you check it out to know what your kids are going through at these specific stages of development and how you can come alongside of them and really give them what they need the most depending on what age they're at. And so in that chapter, there's one idea that I just want to share briefly before moving on. He said that, you know, for all of us adults, we remember when the internet first came around, like I told you, like I do. And he said that when it first started to become popular, they had a name for it that I don't even know if you'll remember it offhand, but you will when I say it. They called the internet the information superhighway. And he said that because of this name, the superhighway, we got in our heads that the internet was a place that you go and it's kind of a separate thing. It's not real life, quote unquote, 
but it's kind of a separate place that you can go to. It's this destination sort of a thing. And while you're there, you can do different things, as we all know. Uh, But he said, it's kind of locked into our minds as something separate from real life. It's this place where things can happen, but it's not fully integrated into life. But he said for kids who were born into a world where the internet already existed, they don't have that same mindset. Because, I mean, just the same way that you and I, we don't think of talking to somebody on, on our phone as being a less real interaction because phones were around. They were just part of life when we were born. And so we think of an interaction on the phone as a real interaction. And he said kids, they're growing up in a world that they've never known a world without the internet, without social media, without the ability to communicate with pretty much anyone, anywhere in the world, anytime. And because that's just been part of the world that they were born into and grew up into, they don't think of those interactions as being separate from real life you'll hear adults talk about that kind of an idea. They'll say, you know, why don't you get outside and do something in real life? And I, I get, and I, it makes sense to me, uh, what's being talked about there behind the scenes. But what he's saying is that that distinction, in some ways, isn't one that kids naturally or maybe even eventually make. And so I wanted to share that because I thought, man, I think that perfectly describes the disconnect that I see as I talk to a lot of parents and a lot of teens about the constant conflict over technology because they're coming at it, seeing it two fundamentally different ways. Now, like I say, you're listening to a podcast, so you're probably less anti-technology than the average um, than the average parent that I've talked to at some of these places that I speak. But I still think that's a really helpful thing uh, as you move forward in helping your kids to navigate what it looks like to do life well and in a healthy way um, online. And so I just want to talk about uh, five different things that are kind of some basics for helping the kids in your life navigate through uh, living life well online. And so number one, it's important to talk to kids about treating people well online. Now, you know, when I think about um, parents being concerned about cyberbullying, I've never had a parent that I can remember come up to me and say, you know what, I'm just really worried that my kid is going to go online and is going to cyber bully somebody else, right? We're always thinking, oh man, they might be victimized. They might have somebody say something harsh to them. They might have somebody, you know, that goes out of their way to basically stalk them across different things to just keep rubbing their faces in the dirt, to just keep beating them down, to keep doing all these things. And we really don't spend a lot of time 
talking to the kids in our lives and saying, hey, it's important that when we're online, that you're not seeing the other person's face. You're not seeing how they react. You're not seeing how your comment might have hurt them. And so it can be a little bit easier to say something that you don't mean or easier to say something that you are going to regret saying 20 seconds later because you really hurt somebody. And what they found as they study, people study cyberbullying, they found that a lot of people who are the victims of cyberbullying, they don't tell an adult in their lives. And the reason they don't is because they're afraid, man, if I talk to them and tell them I'm being bullied online, I'm afraid that my devices are going to be taken away. My connection to the internet is going to be restricted. And so people say, you know, kids go, okay, I guess this is just sort of the cost of doing business, right? If I want to be online, uh, I'm going to get bullied and I'm going to have people say horrible things about me or to me or whatever. And that's just part of the deal. If we start creating a culture where talking with the kids in our lives about treating people well, about even though we're not seeing the body language reaction to something that we've said to know if it's appropriate or not, that if we take a little extra moment and we start to think, hey, is that something that you know, I really want uh, to say to somebody, something I really want to try to make them feel that way? There's a book, it's called I Rules by Janelle Burley Hoffman. And she outlines, she actually had her son sign a contract the first time he got his cell phone. And this contract explained, okay, here's how I'm going to treat people. Here's how I'm going to behave. Here's how I'm going to obey the rules, the limits you've placed on this technology. And he signed this contract. And she talks in there about a time where she saw him make a comment online that she felt and she was right was inappropriate. And she went and she talked to her son and he said, oh, I was just joking and she knows it. And she asked him, would you have said that in front of her parents? What if her parents read it? How would you feel then? And she says that just taking that perspective shift helping her son see, you know, when I'm saying something online, uh, first of all, it's, it's public for anyone to see. And it's going to be interpreted maybe in a way that I didn't think of, or maybe it's going to be interpreted the way that I did mean it. Uh, but it's going to be out there. And what do you think about that? She said when she asked him, her son said, well, no, yeah, I wouldn't want her parents to see that. That was just kind of a joke. And I, yeah, you're right. I'll go take it down. And it's as, it's as simple as that a lot of times to have the beginning of a conversation about treating people well online. It's important for all of us to do that because we're the adults in these kids' lives and we need to help them figure out the best way to handle moving through this stuff safely. Uh, and that kind of brings me to point number two, 
which is that it's important for us to engage with their online interactions. Um, only about one out of three parents know or check in on or engage with what their kids are doing online. And so what this does is I'm guessing that you can remember some examples like me of being out on the playground at school or being between classes or whatever. And for me, I had a friend, I think it was probably sixth, seventh grade, who uh, his name was Paul. And he had a brother who was two or three years older than us, John. And so John, he became kind of our expert because we were, I don't know how old, would that be 11, 12, somewhere in there, being in seventh and eighth grade or sixth and seventh grade. And so John is two years older. He's 13, 14. He's so wise in our eyes, right? And he's got so much more experience with the world. He knows so much more about girls and sex and life and all that stuff, right? And so what would happen is we would get our wisdom from on high from John, and then he would teach us these quote-unquote facts about life. And we would assume that he knew what he was talking about because he was a lot more experienced and established than we were. And so we would go through life thinking that these things he told us were reality. And it wasn't until I would mention something about something that he said in front of my mom or my dad that they would go, wait, what are you talking about? No, that's not even close to true. Where did you hear that? And they would get a chance to interact and to correct this misinformation that the older people in my life, even if they were just a couple years older, had shared with me. And what we find if only one-third of parents are engaging with what their kids do online, then those conversations, the corrective conversations, aren't getting to happen, right? And what's happening is that kids, preteens, early teens, they're defining reality amongst other people their own age online. And if we're not, as the adults in their lives, if we're not at least aware of where they're going, what they're doing, who they're talking to, what they're talking about. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, you need to figure out key loggers and you need to be finding all their passwords and checking in on everything. What I'm saying here is that in the same way that if you're uh, if your kids were going to be spending the night over at a friend's house or something like that, you would want to have met those parents ahead of time where they're going to be staying. You would want to know roughly what other friends were going to be there. You would want to have a general idea of what the plans were for that night. Are they going to be going somewhere else? Are they going to be staying there? What are they going to be doing while they're there? Just generally, right? In the same way, uh, familiarize yourself somewhat. doesn't mean you're stalking your children online um, unless there's been a, a huge breach of trust and you're trying to reconstruct what it looks like for you to, to parent and guide them safely as they're online. Um, but just have a general sense 
of what they're up to, where they're going, what they're learning. And that way you as the adult, as the um, person who can wade through facts and misinformation and try to help them see the truth of reality, the way the world works, the way that we as followers of Jesus want to have our lives governed. And you can check into that stuff. So that's number two, engage with what they're doing online. Uh, Number three, and this for me, this is the reason that I'm recording this podcast. Um, I found this, the wording of what I'm about to share from healthychildren.org. And I, I just love it. I don't think I can um, add to it or make it better. So I'm just going to read what they say. Make sure that kids of all ages know that it's not appropriate or smart to send or receive pictures of people without clothing or sexy text messages, no matter whether they're texting friends or strangers. Now I want to let that sink in for a minute. Because, like I say, I've shared this at church settings and at non-church settings. And I've talked to people who I think are kind of on different ends of the spectrum. There's some people who you hear that and you're like, I don't need to talk to my kids about sexting because, you know, we grew up in the church. They've been going to the church, you know, for as long as I can remember. They know that that stuff isn't in line with what what God wants us to do, with how God wants us to live. And so you're thinking, I don't need to have the conversation because that's never going to happen. But then on the other end of that spectrum, I think there are people that are listening and you're going, hey, you know, um, I've always really sort of felt like the church unrealistically or um, for some reason zeroes in way too much on our sexuality and you know kids are going to be kids it's not going to hurt anybody Um, you know I think the church is just way too restrictive of people when it comes to expressing themselves sexually so it's not that I don't think that's going to happen it's that I don't think it's a big deal if that happens and I think there's people listening right now who fall on both ends of that spectrum And then there's others who say, yeah, we're hoping not to deal with that or we are dealing with that. Uh, I want to read to you. This is a breakdown from a law firm called Kelly & Kelly. It's over by Detroit. So these are Michigan-based laws. That's uh, That's where I live in Michigan. But you may be in a different spot, so your state laws may be a little bit different. But this law firm, they gave a breakdown of the law around underage sexting. So this is number one. Taking photographs of genitals, pubic area, buttocks, or female breast that are of a person under the age of 18 is child pornography. This includes taking photos of your own body. This is a 20-year felony. The second law they highlight, sending, reproducing, or distributing these photos is a seven-year felony. The third law, 
possession of sexually abusive material related to a minor is a four-year felony. And like I say, depending on the state you're in, some of these states um, in, in the U.S., they have more, um, more aware of sexting, I guess, guidelines and laws. Um, but the reality is that there are kids who, not realizing that there's any problem with it, are producing and distributing, according to the law, child pornography. And there are people, thankfully, a lot of states are um, not pursuing this as aggressively as they could, as it's written into the law. But the reality is that there still are kids, kids, who have been put on a sex offender registry for life, um, for sending their nudes to or from a boyfriend or girlfriend, or um, as, you know, as sometimes happens, it becomes something where kids kind of trade those nudes. Oh, yeah, we broke up and this, or we're still together, and here, I'll give you my girlfriend, you give me yours. You can think of how quickly and how easily that can get out of hand. And it's our job as the adults in these kids' lives to talk to them about it. Even if this is an uncomfortable conversation, even if they're mad that you're having the conversation, even if you're mad at me for telling you to go have the conversation, I don't care. You, if you have that conversation and it's wildly uncomfortable, it goes really bad because your kids are, they're just pretending like you, man, I've never heard of anybody doing anything like this. This is wild. Just have the conversation. You need to have the conversation. Uh, I had a mom come up to me recently and when she first heard me talk about this sexting stuff, she's like, I just don't see it. I don't think I need to, you know, have this conversation. It's going to be really uncomfortable. And she had it and it was uncomfortable. And then I saw her again, I don't know, nine months, a year later. And she came up and she said, you were really right about that. Um, I needed to have that conversation. And as much as I didn't think you knew what you were talking about at that time, um, I, I agree on the importance of this. And so I want to encourage you, like I say, this, that sentence right there, uh, make sure kids of all ages know it's not appropriate or smart to send or receive pictures of people without clothing or sexy text messages no matter whether they're texting friends or strangers. That sentence, that's the reason I'm recording this podcast. If I can convince you to have this conversation with your kids, that's what I'm trying to do here. Number four, it's important that we, as the adults in the kids around us lives, we talk about what we're seeing and experiencing online and in media and compare it to our family's values. Because what can happen really easily, I'm sure that we've all been there as the adult, we're watching 
a movie or listening to a song or watching a YouTube clip or something with um, either our kids, for me, my nieces and nephews, for you, could be all different kinds of kids. You're watching it with some kids, your life, and um, there's a scene where someone's being treated in a way that isn't okay. Someone's talking to another character in a way that you're like, man, I, I don't want them to learn to talk to people like this. I don't want them to learn to treat people like this. I don't want them to think that a, a casual hookup is something that is okay. But you're watching and what we easily do as adults is we kind of, we're wincing and we're going, oh man, I hope the scene's over quick. I hope the scene's over quick. I hope they don't say that word again. I hope they don't do that again. And we just kind of get it over with and we don't say anything. And what this can do is the kids that were watching this movie, the show, this listening to the song, whatever, however you're taking in media, they see us not say anything. And whether they think this consciously or whether it's just subconscious, um, it lets them know, oh, okay, well, mom or dad didn't say something about that not being appropriate. So I don't know. I guess that's just the way that the world works, right? And so it's really important, even though it's uncomfortable, even though we're kind of just hoping to get past it and get over it, it's really important that we talk about what we're seeing and experiencing and we talk about when it doesn't line up, especially when it doesn't line up with what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it looks like to be a part of our family. It's great to stop and tell kids, hey, you know, that was a good movie overall, wasn't it? But there was that one moment, and you guys, you guys know that that's not how we talk to people, right? You guys know that that's not how we treat people, don't you? Um, just to have that conversation and to point it out, because otherwise the stuff just goes by and it happens and it starts to become normalized. And we start to think, especially kids start to think, okay, well, mom or dad didn't say anything. So I guess that's okay. And um, I want to, this is kind of point number five, but what it really is is just a few resources. Uh, so I want to encourage you to use the resources that are available to help. And so these three websites are going to be in the show notes, but I want to specifically highlight them. CovenantEyes.com is the first one. This is a website, I don't know, you may or may not be familiar with it, but they offer both uh, content filtering as well as accountability software. And so what you can get for $15.99 a month, it provides um, an entire family package where you can install accountability software on the phones or iPads or laptops or desktops or whatever and it'll keep track of inappropriate websites that were visited and then it will send an email to you know whatever you set it up to send this email to 
to keep some online accountability. And that is one of the ways that you can sort of engage with what your kids are doing online so that you know, oh, okay, they went to this site. Yeah, that's kind of borderline. Or they went to this site. Yeah, that's totally not appropriate. And we need to have a conversation about that. So that's the first one, covenanteyes.com. And the next is ikeepsafe.org. Um, and I'll put a link in the show notes for this one because they worked with the Boy Scouts of America to come up with conversations that parents can have with kids at different ages. So if your kids are in first through fifth grade, it has a guide on how to talk to your kids about what do they do if they come across porn, if they come across uh, violent content, if they come across bullying, if they come across something else that's inappropriate, what do they do? How do they come and let you know? How do they handle it? Because we know this, right? The reality is not, um, the question isn't if they're going to run across inappropriate content. It's just when and how often and how are they going to handle it when they do. And so this site, now it's on an archived version of the site. So I don't know if this link is going to be good forever, but for now, there's a breakdown whether your kids are in first through fifth grade, sixth through eighth grade, ninth through twelfth grade, of how to have age-appropriate conversations about some of the stuff that we talked about here today and other things that you can do to help protect the kids in your life. And the third website is commonsensemedia.org. And this is the best resource that I've found for parents uh, to check out what apps their kids are using. It gives a brief overview. And, and when I say brief, I get that you don't have the time to go through your kids' devices and find every single app they're using and go do two hours of research on every app to figure out, okay, what's going on here? Why are they using it? What do I need to be aware of? How can I protect them? What Common Sense Media does is they're a non-biased, not affiliated with any of these apps. They go through and they give you a quick little breakdown. And on most of these apps, they'll have a little one or two minute long video that just explains, okay, this is what the app does, gives a brief overview of it, why kids are using it, and some ways that we, as the adults in their lives, uh, can help them use the app safely. And so commonsensemedia.org, if the sexting conversation is the reason I'm recording this podcast, uh, commonsensemedia.org is the number two reason. It is an amazing resource. And, you know, if this podcast was me going through and talking about, hey, here's the top five apps that kids are using, da-da-da, you could listen to it, and then I'd have to record another podcast to talk about it in six months or a year when everyone had moved on to five new apps. But instead of doing that, I want to send you to this website, to Common Sense Media, because it gives you all the tools that you need to understand what apps your kids are using and why and how you can best protect them in the midst of it.
And like I say, all those links are going to be in the show notes. And um, I really just want to encourage you uh, that technology isn't something that you need to be super scared of, that you need to be constantly in conflict between you and the kids in your life over the use of technology. Um, There are some really great ways to put some guidelines, some guardrails in place, and some great resources that are available to help you as you do it to navigate this world that none of us have ever been in before, right? I tell parents sometimes I really think that kids are growing up right now in the hardest time to be a preteen or a teen because there's just so much brand new stuff. And it's our job as the adults in their lives to help them navigate through it in a safe and healthy way. And I really believe that some of these resources and some of these key things that we talked about here in this episode today will help you do just that. 